0: got sent the
1: strongest soldiers, so it's never over Even if you need someone to hold you to keep your composure Even on the days you're moving slower and can't seem to focus You were meant for greatness and you know it, you just gotta show it Know you crushed life a couple times, but it's okay you growing Know you gotta read between the lines, but it's okay you on it Know you got some people in your life that's gonna make you want it Know you got some people by your side when you look into their eyes All you ever do is smile cause they make you worth it Already know this life ain't perfect, but you gotta work it.
2: Welcome kings and queens to One Sick B. I am your host One Sick B. Here at One Sick B, we don't cry, we thrive, we don't whine, we whine. Shout out to Black Girl Moscato. The definition of One Sick B is a strong individual that faces or fights through unimaginable, undeniable, courageous battles that life throws at you without warning, but you refuse to carry the spirit of brokenness. Today, I am so blessed to have a guest named Natalie, all the way from UK. She is a relapsed and re one sig b MS warrior. She has gone through so much and endured so much. She's so sweet, has a heart of gold, and willing to open up today to explain and tell her story. So let me salute her and welcome, Natalie, for being on one sig b How are you today?
0: I'm fine. Thank you.
2: That's great. Let's get started. Uh, Natalie, COVID has brought so many feelings. It's brought good things out of people. It's uh, put people under depression. Um, People have came up with wonderful uh, things to incorporate in the world during COVID. And then also uh, kind of for COVID for me, part of it was like, hey, this is my reality. So I kind of sat back and laughed at people who were going crazy just for the simple fact When we go through these autoimmune diseases we spend so much time kind of isolated within our own self so for people to panic that they have to spend time with their self kind of it wasn't funny but to me it was because i'm like hey like come on now like is it that bad so how are you and how have you been through covid
0: um i think with me i think it's just been like a mixture of emotions with covid um like you said um you do tend to be at home by yourself anyway and with me I was that type of person that um even before I had MS I was I was I kind of like my own company I didn't go out that much I never went to clubs I, I even came to a point like my mum was trying to like go on go out <laughs> you know most of the time p- parents like trying to keep their teenagers inside my mum was trying to kick me out but during Covid um I don't know. It's really weird. I actually thought like in 2020, I know it sounds crazy, but I actually thought I was going to die. I was actually preparing my mind to die. And it was so weird because with my children at home, I just like because I don't know, because, you know, the media is kind of like your window to the world. So when they're saying stuff like, Oh, the ones that are mainly at risk are the ones who have chronic illnesses, um, you know, suppressed immune systems, and like, you know, they're the ones that are the most in danger and stuff like that. So I just thought, oh my god, is this it? Is this is this what's going to happen? But I don't know how I got out of it. But as the months were going, and I was kind of worried for my mom because she was a, she's a nurse, and she has her patients. She had to go out, so she had a job to do. So I was always worried, but I like that selflessness of her as well. So. I don't know I, I built this kind of hole I guess where I just stayed in there and I was just comfortable and I was just literally waiting to die it was so weird but I don't know what got me out of it but I think it could have been I think it may have been my son that was just like oh mom, can you help me I need you and I think that word need I was like I can't do this I've got to come out of this and I always say to so many people like who are feeling down when they do have Um, where they're new to um, chronic illnesses like yeah when you first get it it's hard you can cry and stuff like that but one thing you shouldn't do is stay there because that's what I did I stayed there too long and I felt like if I had stayed even longer it would have been worse so with me Covid was kind of like a revelation like at the beginning of it I was preparing to die but as it, it started to ease off a bit I was just like no I have to keep going I have to keep going so for me, COVID was just like a mixture. But I thank God that my family, none of us, caught it. Um, apart from, I think, my auntie, she lives more of the north of us. She caught it, and she caught it really badly. And it was weird because she was at home and she called us. She said, oh, I'm not feeling too good. She was just saying that she had a headache. Because, you know, with black people, we started having different symptoms to white people. So the symptoms that they told us to look out for was an R1. So we didn't really know what it was. But she started to get worse and worse. And mum said, you know what, just go to the hospital. And we, no, she said, let's go to the GP, the doctor. So we thought it was nothing that they'll give us something. But the doctor said, no, you have got to go to hospital now. So then within a few hours, we are told she was in intensive care. And they don't know whether she's going to survive or not. So we were just panicked, like, oh, my God, we can't believe this is happening. And my auntie, trust me, she's amazing because she's like a fourth time cancer survivor. She's beaten cancer four times. And I was just like, how the hell is she going to beat this one? She's in intensive care. She's she's got COVID. Her immune system's already weak. But she got through it. And I just love her so much because she's always prayerful. And I don't know if she's got God looking after her, angels looking after her. She beat COVID so definitely. with me it's just like that made me more like if she can do it I have to keep fighting I have yeah. to keep going so for me COVID was like I don't know it was just it's a time that I won't forget I mean it's still around but that beginning time in 2020 it was a yeah. hard time and it was just a revelation for me it's just yeah. like it was just weird I don't know how to describe it no it no no I definitely
2: moment. understand definitely uh, on the spectrum of having an autoimmune disease and fearing of I think automatically, not I'm not saying you did, but I remember when COVID got started, I kind of automatically jumped to that. I didn't think if, they made it seem that as if you had an autoimmune disease and you caught COVID, you probably wouldn't survive. So it was one of those, if I catch COVID, I'm done. You know, like, I don't know where I'll be. And COVID started, like you said, the beginning of 2020. I lost my grandma four four, 20, uh, shout out to my grandma, rest in peace. She died of COVID. Uh, and she mm-hmm. was in a nursing home and okay. somebody brought it in. They weren't familiar with it. They didn't know. They probably thought they just mm-hmm. had the flu and she contracted it. And she passed, the, she, it started on a Sunday, or no, a Sunday and a Monday. And then they tested her on a Wednesday. She tested positive. And that Saturday she passed away. Mm-hmm. So I definitely understand the feelings of COVID and going through it and praying for your aunt and that, But today, I want to talk to Miss Natalie about this relapsing, re-emitting, multiple sclerosis, strong warrior, African-American queen all the way over there from UK, (laughs) and tell us when you got diagnosed, what went on, what were your symptoms, and prior to this diagnosis, if you felt that maybe at some
0: point you had it. Um, I think at the beginning, I would say I was diagnosed in 2016 and I felt something was wrong in 2013 just because my arm went numb, but I didn't, I've never heard of multiple sclerosis ever, never heard wow. of it. Only one time, I think at university, um, one of my friends said she had a work friend who had MS, but I wasn't listening properly because we have a shop, like a shopping center called m s so that's what I thought she meant. So I was just like, oh no, I don't really like shopping there. I like shopping at Sainsbury's. And she goes, oh no, don't be silly. I don't mean MNS. I mean my work colleague has MS. I was like, I didn't even think to think about what that was. So I just moved on. I didn't know what she was talking about. But that 2013, when my arm went numb, that was the weird one because I was learning. I was trying to learn how to drive, and I couldn't feel the steering wheel. So the driving instructor said, okay, um, maybe get that checked, and then we'll see where we go from there. So. It disturbed me for a couple of months and I didn't really think anything of it. And around that time, I also got like vertigo and I've never heard of vertigo before. I just thought something was weird. And I all I knew is that every time I closed my eyes, it made it worse. (laughs) It just I just kept I was like walking like I was drunk because I was on my way home from the shop and I couldn't. It was like I was drunk. I just kept everything was like tilting all the time. And I remember people coming up to me saying, are you okay? Are you fine? I'm just like, yeah, I just don't know what's going on. And I remember telling this guy to like, because <clears throat> he just kept moving around and he's like, I'm not, I'm actually just standing still. But it looked like he was moving. I was like, you're making me worse. Can you stand still? Like, it can came to a point that was just like, leave me alone. <laughs> no one come near me. I just I must have. I remember like when I saw my the road um, that go on the street of my home. I literally just got onto my knees and I had to crawl home. It was so weird. I've never done that before. And I said, no, something is really wrong. And I'm not the type of person to go to a doctor because I always feel like, oh, it's just a waste of time. Something will, um, you know, it will probably just wear off by the evening. But this one just was not letting go. But I just didn't didn't see anything wrong with it. So the GP said, "Okay, I'm going to um, refer you to a neurologist. And I was just like, what are you talking about? And that is just extreme. I was like, at first I wasn't gonna go to the meeting, but um, the appointment, but he was just like, no, you really have to go. So when I went there, I thought, this is so stupid. Why, (laughs) it's just, I'm just feeling a bit dizzy. My arm's a bit numb. What has a neurologist got to do with anything? So even when I had had an MRI scan and um, a few, I think a few, uh, I think about a few weeks later, I got a letter talking about what was discussed in the clinic. Clinic, And I could tell that the people that were involved are in the letter, like I named in the letter and I saw that there was like an epilepsy doctor, epilepsy specialist nurse. I thought, that's what they think I've got. This is crazy. So something happened. There was like um, a miscommunication with my local doctor and the neurologist. Cause apparently I later found out that the neurologist was trying to get in contact with me saying that there was some kind of white plaque on my brain, but it's nothing, but they didn't know what it, they they, they said that what I've got at the time, um, it just needs someone to keep an eye on it. And that's all they wanted to do. They wanted me to come for appointments, do a few tests just to keep an eye on it. But that communication never got to my nurse. So I called the hospital like, okay, what okay what's going on is everything okay by the time I wasn't too bothered because the numbness was going down so I just thought okay it's going the doctor the neurologist is not calling me so it's not that serious right so I didn't follow it through so um that's in 2000 and I think 15 just after Christmas coming on to the new year I had this horrible pain in my eyelids here and I just thought the thing the way I deal with things is like if something's really bothering me I just sleep like sometimes like when we were younger and we didn't have the my mom didn't want us to turn the heating on because you know because of the bills it'll be freezing in the house I would just fall asleep <laughs> so that was just my mechanism if I something hurts fall asleep if it's cold fall asleep because you can't feel nothing when you're asleep so I remember that one time mom came home she was just like why is the house cold he like, you said, you said we shouldn't touch the heating yeah but I didn't say you should freeze today. <laughs> but I was just always I just slept that was my my thing to everything so when my eyes were hurting I just fell asleep, and it's just like, if your eyes are hurting, just go to see the GP, it's it's not, you know, it's just, it's nothing, I just take a paracetamol, painkiller, whatever, it'll go. The next morning, um, the left eye was not hurting anymore, but the right eye was still hurting, and at that moment, I didn't realise that my right eye had gone, Um, it was only like, it took about three days for me to read, I knew something wasn't right, but I couldn't put my finger in because if one eye is gone, you don't really realise it if the other eye is fine. It was only, I don't know what I was doing, but I must have done something to my left eye, like holding it or something. And I know my right eye was open, but I couldn't see anything. Then I knew something was wrong. And I said, okay, I really need to go and see the GP. Then the GP referred me to an eye doctor in the hospital. They did a couple of tests and they said they can see that the optic nerve, that um, the main nerve in the um, eye, Is blocked, so that's it's swollen. So there's no light coming through. It's inflamed, and because it calmed down, he said, "Let's just ride it out and see what happens." So I kept coming for the eye appointment, and then eventually, um, it didn't quite get back to its sharpness, but I could see again. But um, the eye doctor said, "You know what? I want to know where that inflammation was coming from, and because that optic nerve is connected to the brain, I'm sending you to neurology." I was like, "My God, neurology again? (laughs) What is it?" Neurologist again. Because like, when he said inflammation, what I can think about was that cream my mom would always have that um, when you have like a, a bad knee, it's like a heat type of cream. It was called inflammation or something like that. I just thought, OK, they're going to give me a cream. Maybe this will be over. And I wasn't prepared for what was coming. So my sister, um, my daughter was um, quite young at the time. And She was just about one. And they came with me to the appointment. And so when I went to see this neurologist, she wasn't an MS specialist neurologist, I think she was just general. So she's, um, I think at the time I did take her, they told me to take an MRI scan before seeing her. So when the results came, that's when I went to see her. And she said to me, "Um, I don't want you to panic, but it looks like you might have MS. And as soon as she said that, all I could think about is my friend, when she said her work colleague, and i still didn't know what that was but it was right. enough for her to be concerned about that colleague so my, i just burst into tears and started crying it was so weird as soon as she said ms just started crying i didn't even know <clears throat> where the tears came from where the crying was coming from so the neurologist said like we've just seen some lesions on the mri scan but we want to just make sure that you know we want to do a few more tests just to check if you know it is what we think it is so she said something like It could either be on one side of the scale where it's absolutely nothing and we can treat it. It could be the worst side of the scale where it might be MS. So I don't want you to panic. We don't know what it is. We need to do a few more tests. But one thing I will ask you to do is don't look online. So obviously, what did I do? I looked (laughs) (laughs) online. So I looked online, scared myself a bit, but I told myself in my head that I'm going to go with the lower side of the scale and maybe it's nothing and they'll cure it. So before they were just about to do some tests, I realized that. Something wasn't right. I wasn't feeling great. I was vomiting, and I was like, "Okay, I don't know what's going on again." So, <clears throat> my sister's like, uh, "Your symptoms sound like like pregnancy symptoms." Like, no, I can't, I, I can't be pregnant. So when I when I checked, I was pregnant. I was like, oh my god! For all the times to be pregnant. So the only thing they wanted to do like an MRI, full body scan with contrast and everything. But when I found out I was pregnant. They could just they just did a head one just for safety because they don't know how the mri can affect a uh, newborn baby yeah, pregnancy so they didn't want to take any risk so they just did the head one so um when my son was born um about i think it was like a month later someone just came and was like, okay we need to do the test quickly quickly and i was still getting into the you know i've just i'm you know just had a baby to my son exactly I don't need this right now and <laughs> I lady, already have she something else come like, on you know go to the appointment come on I just I was gonna actually I wasn't gonna go I was just like yeah. you know what? I really don't care what it is I've got a, a new child here I need to be at home but she just kept I, There was something in her voice that she kept calling me and she was just like please we just we need to do these tests just to rule it out so I just thought, okay, in my mind again, I was like, it's not gonna be the worst of it. Let me just do it. So I did the, did all these tests. I hate this, but lumbar puncture, I don't know if you've had it, but lumper puncture is yes. horrible. I think anyone yes. <laughs> will yeah, know. I,
2: that's how I got diagnosed.
0: I uh, hate with, it. I hate it so much. I really hate it. So I had that, um, I had it manually and the nurse, no it wasn't a nurse, it was a doctor, but she couldn't get the fluid. She kept going in, she kept going in. It was not working. So she said she wanted to try a sixth time. I said, no, I'm not doing it. So she contacted my neurologist. My my neurologist said, okay, have her see if she will have an X-ray one so they can actually see where the needle is going. So I said that one, it sounds fine. So I did that. It was uncomfortable, did it in the end, did another MRI and I did like a nerve test. It's kind of like electrical shock because it tests to see how quick your nerves are. So when you get a shock, your nerves are supposed to move quickly to the reaction. The but my nerves were, were not responding on time to the shock. So they knew that, okay, something is wrong. So when they put the test together, they did when they did the other MRI scan, they realized that the, the lesions, not only have they become more, but they've spread around the brain and they've now gone to the spine. So they were comparing it from the ones at the beginning of the year to the ones like, <laughs> I've had my son, they're spreading. So I remember the I, I got a call saying I need to come and that was actually the 13th of November. I'll never forget that day. Oh my God, it was it was a it was weird because I was because I was referred to the MS neurologist because the other one was a general one. So right. now I have MS. I need a one who specializes in. It. And I, there was a nurse who was assigned to me. She's an MS specialist nurse. I just remember the look on their faces, and it was so weird. And when the neurologist said to me, um, Natalie, um, I'm sorry to tell you, but you do have MS. And I just remember everything just went, I don't know, like when you've been underwater and you can hear like echo, someone's talking to you, but you're under the water. That's how I felt. I just mm-hmm. felt like I was sinking. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at their faces, like, I need you to help me, like, what is this? And just to add to it, like, I was just like, okay, okay, what are we gonna do to fix it? And then she said, um, I'm sorry to say it, but we haven't, there's no known cure for it yet. So I was just like what am I meant to do with that information and I can just see like um the neurologist sorry she wanted to help and so did the nurse I could tell by their face they wanted to help but they knew that they were powerless and I just I couldn't hear anything after that all I can see is that they were giving me these leaflets about MS um my neurologist at the time I mean she's so good I know that she really wanted things to be quick because she see my children and she knows how young I am. I was, well, I was like 30 when I was diagnosed and she just I don't know. She bonded quite well with my son. So I think she just wanted to do something for me. And she's just like, Natalie, we have to really move quick with this. I don't want to rush you, but you have to have one of the more highly effective ones. You have to be quick with this decision. So it was so strange because when I was actually looking through the leaflet, I was looking at all the maybe a tablet. I didn't want to have any injections, but she was like, no, you have it's the highly effective ones you need to have. So she gave me um, the choice of Lemtrada or Tysabri. So she I had to do like a blood test for Tysabri because you have to check to see if you haven't got the JCV virus in your blood or whatever like that. So I did that test. I was negative for that one. So it was fine. And then there was Lemtrada. But she said, if you pick Sabri, it means you can breastfeed. But if you take Lemtrada, you can't breastfeed. I think she said it's a type of, uh, um, type of chemo. But I didn't actually hear that it was a type of chemo until late, a few years later, I realized, oh, Lemtrada is a chemo. <laughs> but I remember now that she did say it was a type of chemo, so I couldn't breastfeed. But I didn't want to be going into hospital every month. That would right. just remind me that I have it. So right. I just thought Lemtrada is only an infusion. I think um, you go into hospital, some of the hospitals in the UK is an outpatient, but where I was in St. George's is an inpatient. So you're in hospital for five days, every single day you have an infusion with Lemtrada. Then you're done for the five days. You don't need to have any more infusions until next year. So I couldn't handle what was going on. So um, with my first child, my, when I was breastfeeding, my milk stopped and I felt horrible um to a point oh. that the, my doctor was actually holding me at the gp surgery like when i was crying because i just felt like i failed as a yeah. mother but no. my second son it was just like the milk was there and i had to stop and it's just like she gave me like a month to breastfeed and you know wean him off until like a, yeah. exactly and then wean him off to a bottle get used to it but my son is so good he got into the bottle quickly the neurologist was like wow i've never seen that that's before. a blessing yeah, but it was hard. It was really, really hard. Like I have all this milk and I can't give it to him because it's going to be infected with a lemtrada. So it was a that was a difficult time. So I actually um started looking from because I was living in London. I wanted to move. I didn't want to be in London anymore. So I literally went searching for houses in another city in England, which is Birmingham. Um and then just took my family, found a, a house. And that was it, started trying to live a new life, trying to run away from MS, away from <laughs> it. thinking clearly that it's inside, I can't run from it, it's inside me. So um, I remember the neurologist kind of trying to tell me not to do that because I don't know anyone in Birmingham. And when you have MS, you have to have family and friends. It's so important to have that support. I wasn't listening, I left. I think I just, dis- my MS started to deteriorate. I had a neurologist there that was not great at all. Um, He didn't check, because obviously when I um, had Lemtrada, I had the second Lemtrada in Birmingham. So when I had that, he signed, um, actually he didn't sign his part of the consent form, which I noticed, but I signed it and um, things started to go bad because they said that with Lemtrada, you can get um, a kidney infection um, or you can have thyroid problems. I had thyroid problems from Lemtrada a few months after my second one. but I had the kid, I had like a kidney problem and I did not know that, but my urine test would have shown that. And I take them every month and my blood and he's meant to check them. Um, I remember coming close to the time when I almost, well, I did collapse, I had a breakdown because I was in so much pain. I went to the hospital, my MS nurse told me, okay, give me a urine test. She saw that there was an infection, said, Oh, go home and if we need you again, we'll call you back. She didn't call me back a week later. A week later, it got even worse that um, I took my painkillers more than I should have done. But um, they said that you could go up with your painkillers, but you have to gradually go up. I took the whole thing. And um, some of my relatives that were visiting said, it doesn't make sense to take 12 tablets in one go. Don't you find that weird? No, but this is the limit. This is the limit I can take. I said, it's not an overdose this is the limit. So it should be fine. I go, no, no, something's not right. I was 12 tablets at night, 12 tablets in the morning in one go. And I didn't think anything was crazy because I thought, well, it's working. I don't feel that pain anymore. My son's nursery teacher at the time was like, you really do not look great. And she just said, you look like death. (laughs) Walking around, you look like death. My face wasn't the same. My face was swollen. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I don't care how I looked or how I, I felt like I didn't. I just remember um the third day um I took another 12 tablets and then I went to sleep and it was so weird I thought I couldn't wake up but I was awake inside my eyes were closed but I couldn't wake up and I was like if you want to wake up you can get up but it's weird I was trapped I couldn't yeah, get up but I yeah. was awake it was yeah, so bad yeah. and I don't know what happened but my kids were like mommy mommy wake up my wake up and uh All I could, um, I don't know, I couldn't, something woke me up and all I can see is that everything was moving. And I was telling my daughter not to come close because her voice was getting louder. and I'm sure she wasn't that loud, but as she got closer, it was weird, I think I was hallucinating. And I was trying to say, call the ambulance. And my uncle was there and I was telling him, please, and the words wouldn't come out my mouth so it's like what's wrong what do you want me to do and I couldn't say it and then yeah. I think just a little bit of energy I said call the ambulance and then they took me away and I thought okay it's because I took too much of my medication until the it was a general um medicine doctor said He started asking me if I was taking drugs, if I was (laughs) like taking recreational drugs or stuff like that. I was like, no, I haven't, I'm not that type of person. I don't take drugs like that. It was just that I took too, I just took the too much of my medication all at once. And he said, do you know that your kidney, you had acute kidney failure? And I was like, how? No, I'm in here because I took too much medication. No. So that's why he was asking me all those questions. Like I had to stay in hospital for two weeks while they give me fluid, loads and loads. I had to drink loads of water. They had to put fluid in because my kidneys were literally on the Fair brink. Way. And he said, if you had not come in any later, it could have been dialysis. So I was just like, I didn't realize. And I and I realized then that. So the doctor said to me, um, you take urine and blood for your MS to be observed. I can see that from your notes. But and he showed me on the computer, your kidneys were declining from May all the, no, he said from I think March all the way until I came here, it was getting worse. And the worst ones were May and June. because um, I went into hospital late June, early July. And he said, Why wasn't this flagged up? And I thought about it, if my neurologist, you should be checking those things. So immediately I sacked my neurologist. I said, That's it. I don't want you as a neurologist anymore. And then when he found out I was in hospital, he tried to come and see me. The nurse came and said, oh, um, the doctor wants to come and see you, see how you are. I said, no, I want a new I want a new doctor. Now that I'm in hospital, now he wants to see me. When I was in pain, all he told me was, increase your medication. You didn't want to come and check me, even though you know there was an infection in my urine. So I, I sacked him. And then when they wanted to replace me, uh, you know, these doctors, most of the time they're friends. So he came up and he said, oh, you I I don't mind um, being your new neurologist if you will have me, but you do realize that um, it wasn't a fault on your neurologist's part because you knew that I swear I was going to hit this doctor. (laughs) He said, you knew the risks of Lemtrada when you took it. And that's what made me angry. And I said, yeah, I knew the risks, but you knew. But the risk was in the sense that you were meant to be checking me every um, my blood tests my urine if something was wrong that's where you come in that right. is where you come in and you didn't so I did my part by coming and doing the checks but you didn't do your part by checking and he tried to say oh that wasn't the case you know when someone's trying to tell you that's not true but I've seen it on the computer the right. general medicine doctor just showed me the decline and he and I said have a look at the computer look at how my kidney function was declining and he's like oh no he you see that he wouldn't have got those results until and he got the date wrong he said that he wouldn't have seen the the results until June. I said, well, he would have seen the May results and the May results showed the decline, the worst. And he was like, oh, no, it's not like that. Oh, no. He just tried to make excuses. Do you feel um, I, over there uh, in yeah. the UK, I'm not
2: familiar with how uh, be, do you feel that um being an African-American female that mm. they weren't as advocated and I'm uh, not advocate. They weren't um, as detailed and wasn't on top of their job as much. Do you feel like it has something to do with being a minority or no, you just feel like they were just crappy doctors?
0: I just think that it, it was, it could, I, I, to be honest, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. But what I know is that I had to say something because I don't want it to happen to anybody else that he wasn't doing his job. And I don't know whether that was the case, because um, in Birmingham, they've got they they've got like a, a high minority okay. kind of culture. It's okay. like London. You have a okay. mixture of Asian and Blacks. But I, I don't know if that was the case. It could have been. But it's not something that I had noticed myself. But all I know is that every time I did go for appointments with him, which wasn't often, it was like always a rush to get me out yeah kind of thing so I just knew that he is just somebody that I don't know if it was just me but he's not professional at all so I said that I'm going to leave I'm gonna uh, unfortunately for the kids I had to take them out of school once again that's one thing that I regret doing is because I was in my own thing I wasn't thinking of yeah. them. i so taking them out of school away from their friends now they've settled they've made new friends and I'm taking them we're going back to London um luckily my neurologist she was happy to have me back on her service because everybody is different because they have so many different patients. So you have to wait to see who's available. As soon as she heard that was coming back, she said, yep, fine, put her back on. Same with my MS nurse as well. So I was kind of ready for that. I told you so done.
1: So if my neurologist
0: was going to do that, I would have sat there and I would have taken it, but she didn't do that. She was just... She told me like how brave I am. She understood that why I I felt the way I needed, I I did and why I needed to go. She's just happy that I'm back. And um, yeah, she just got me straight onto a routine of getting checks and stuff. So now you're
2: getting ready to go through a stem cell transplant. Yeah. Can you tell me how that started and what the procedure and the process is? I don't, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time. You can just break it down and say what it's going through. Cause I know that's hard and that's something new. So I don't want to really touch Mm. and poke, but can you give us a little background information on that?
0: Well, to be honest, like, I think it stems from the Birmingham again. Cause when I came back, they, when they did their MRI scan, they said that there was only um, one lesion that was a new one that had come. But when I got to London, the MRI scan said there was like, there was like four new lesions on my brain and um so the lemtriada was clearly not working they in birmingham they wanted to give it to me again because it was clearly not working but when i got back my neurologist was like why would they want to give it to you again it's not working so we need to put you on to something else and i remember it was the worst feeling ever i can never forget that pain I was, because um, we had moved back from Birmingham, so already our flat is gone, so I'm, we're staying at my mum, all squashed in my mum's house. My kids are sleeping in my mum's bed and I'm, I'm sleeping with my sister in her bed and it woke, the worst pain woke me up at night on my left calf. I was asleep and I think it was like five in the morning. I screamed, like, I literally felt like something was in my leg and was cutting it with a chainsaw it was the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life and I screamed my mom quickly came and one of the things I was worried about I don't want my kids seeing me in pain that was yeah. one of the things I didn't want so my mum was like okay crying the pillow screaming I was just literally biting this pillow so my mom was like "Shan, call the ambulance call the ambulance um, when they came the kids were sleeping because I was just like hurry up so I don't have to scream I just right. really need to. it was the worst pain ever it's like someone is yeah. cutting off your leg and the pain would just not ease. You know, some pains it's painful. It kind of comes in waves. This one yes. was just constantly just I was just like, I would rather someone cut the leg off. It was that bad. Yeah. And the ambulance came and they were slowly trying to get me to come into the, the ambulance van and everything. And I don't know what it. I think one of the people that were moving me moved me a bit too quickly and my leg and I screamed the whole, I screamed the whole street down, all the neighbours, I could hear the windows <laughs> all open, I screamed, the, you know, screamed the, the place down. So when I got to the hospital um, they gave me liquid morphine for the pain and that made me sleep. So when I got up they said okay, um, we, they didn't think it was anything MS i told them i had ms but i didn't know if it was that because it was my right side that always gets attacked never my left so i didn't think it was the ms so um they said okay you're good to go home have some codeine um when the um morphine wears off have codeine so i was, I was getting ready to go i just wanted to get back to my kids then all of a sudden i fall from the bed I was like what the hell so i got up holding the bed i couldn't move my legs i was like what is going on and my sister was um, called the, the doctor and said, oh, my sister, she, she can't move her legs. And she goes, um, you know, if you cannot move your legs, you're not going home. And I said, well, I can move my legs. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I just need a minute. Maybe, I don't know, a reaction to the morphine or something. I cannot move my legs. So she gave me crutches. And I swear the frustration, I just wanted to get home to my children and I could not move my legs. So she said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to admit you. So I said, please, just give me just one. so I just said give me one more chance I can I know I can walk home I need to get to my kids so she gave me another chance and then she put her arms out and said okay walk to me you can hold you can hold my hands and the legs didn't move so they had to admit me into hospital and I just remember being there for like a week but in that time my neurologist came and um, she said, uh, we need to give you an MRI scan just to check it's nothing to do with MS. So they did a scan. i never knew that they could get the scan so quickly back from, <laughs> from the MRI. Usually it usually takes two weeks to get to you, but I guess if it's an emergency, but I got it within a few hours. And the, um, my, my neurologist told me um, we, they noticed that there's a new lesion. Um, they compared it to the other scan. There's a new lesion at the back of your brain and that could be the cause of this relapse so uh, i had to stay in hospital for a week they gave me a physio to help me walk because i had to learn how to walk again um the physio was just like i've never seen anyone so determined because he thought i was going to be there for at least 3 weeks but i was only there for a week i managed to get my i had to get back to my kids that was my spirit that was my motivation yes. because my kids came to visit me and that cry like my son he never says to you like he's very good at hiding his feelings so he just hugged me and said mom I hope you get better and he's just small but my daughter like (laughs) oh my god God." yeah (laughs) she's just crying the whole time mommy I want you to come home so much that it made like my stepdad I never seen my stepdad cry but it made him cry see my daughter want me home so much the nice thing is that people thought I was a teen mom (laughs) because i look young so i I never corrected you do look young you do
2: look very young i must admit because when you said you were 30 uh getting diagnosed i'm like wait a minute i thought she was younger okay well that's okay that's always a blessing
0: yeah so it was hard um i all i could think about was i think that you can train your mind as much as ms the lesions are in there you can still have that spirit in you and i was like there's no way and this is like the second, I think the second, no, the third time, my legs have stopped moving. And um, the first one, I was at a bus stop, and I felt so vulnerable because the, I didn't know strangers, anyone could have taken my bag, could have taken everything. I was so grateful people were nice. The second time, I was in Birmingham, and I was I was at a church, and I couldn't get up to move, and I had I stayed there for a good three hours. I prayed with the, the pastor there, prayed with me, prayed over my legs. And by the end of the day, they started moving again. And they were like, oh, do you want me to give you a lift? Give you a lift. I was like, no, I'm going to walk home. Like, it's a bit of a, a walk. I, like, I don't care. I'm, I'm just. That's I that just stubborn. I'm just I
2: can do everything. I'm so strong. Yeah. I'm going to make it personality. I'm going to do it. Be determined, ma'am. That's yeah. you.
0: Exactly. I was sitting there. My legs had gone. I appreciate my legs moving again. I don't want to sit down. I'm going yeah. to walk home because I appreciate just the things we take for granted, as simple as just to walk. You don't have to think about it. And I had I to agree think about with you.
2: It. I agree so, with you. Okay. Um, when I losing being not able to walk and being in that wheelchair for a year, you do get mm-hmm. a different appreciation. And when I got out, everybody said, You need to sit down, you need to sit down, you need to rest, you need to just relax, you need to take a chill pill. But Mentally, I felt like if I sat down, I wasn't gonna be able to get back up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the same as well. It was difficult. So that's what my nurse said to me, that's what my neurologist said, okay, um, there's three types of treatment for you. um, And we have to move quick. And she said, Tysabri, I can't remember the name. It begins with an O. I think it's- Ogrevis? That's the one. I'm more over this. Yeah, okay. Or this, or stem cell. And I was like, what is stem cell treatment? I had no idea what she was talking about. When she said it, I freaked out. I was like, when she told me what it involved, I was like, no, 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 I can't (laughs) can't do that. And she said, I really think that it's the best. Right at that time, I always say, one of my quotes is like, you never know. I can't even remember where I got that from. You never know the importance of a moment until it's a memory. And that was one of those moments because my neurologist, my neurologist said to me at the time that she thinks that this would be the best thing to me. Little did I know how people were struggling to get this treatment. The yes. neurologist said it's bad, it can kill you. It's not, it's, it's an experimental thing. It's not a good thing. So, so many people, some had to sell their houses, remortgage it just to pay for this treatment abroad. Yes. I have an MS, I have a um, neurologist who is fighting for me and said you have I have your medical records just say the word I'll take it to the there's this meeting called uh I can't remember it's called multi uh, disciplinary meeting where all these neurologists everybody involved in stem cell come together in the, in London and discuss your case to see whether they're going to okay. fund it on right. the NHS because it's all about funding so you have to be a candidate, you have to be, a, and they have these strict criterias, and my neurologist said, I believe you meet that criteria, just say the word, and I'll, I'll do it now, so I wasn't sure about this treatment, so I was telling my mom about it, my mom instantly said, you should do it, because anything to do with stem cell is a healing, it's a blessing, it's your own stem cells, your body will be healing you, so definitely think about it, all my family was saying, you know, if this means that, if it does, there's no guarantees it will work, but if it does work, it means I can live a, a normal life without symptoms Healthier. of MS. So um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So my nurse um, got all my notes together, was going to go to the meeting. The meeting got canceled. We had to go and lock down COVID. <laughs> so I was actually meant to have it March, 2020, but because of COVID, we didn't. So she put me on Thai Starbury because my MS was out <laughs> of control and something had to stop it. So I got tested again for Taisabri. This time I tested positive for the virus, but it was a low positive. So I said, that's OK, you can still have it. So I was on that for a while. Then when COVID started to calm down a bit, my neurologist said, I want to put your case again. Is that OK? And I said, that's fine. Um, this time I had two neurologists saying, yeah, um, they came together. Before it was one, then I had two that went to the meeting on my behalf. And they said, yeah, they're, they've approved it. So now I'm at this stage now, I'm halfway through the transplant and I'm now waiting for the second half, which is a bit more intense because there's a lot more chemo. And the whole idea is that it wipes out your immune system that is infected with the the cells. I think the T cells that are are infected with the MS kills them all off till your immune system is close to zero. Then they put your stem cells back because they collected my stem cells on the first half. So um, they said they needed 4 million stem cells and they ended up getting 9 million from me. So that was even better. (laughs) Yeah, it's all all, my stem cells are frozen in a special clinic somewhere in the country. And so um, when I go through the second part everything will be killed off. Then they put my stem cell, they call it a stem cell birthday. It's kind of like they call it like, a, I don't know, the medical stuff. They seem to get so emotional about it because it's like, yeah, it's, they start a your birth, it's your new birthday. Now forget your about real, the, your rebirthed. birthday. It's a new one. Yeah, it's a rebirth. Rebirth when I get by. Exactly. Yes. Stem cells are going in there. It's a rebirth. They're going to save you now. They're going to be the new um your platelets and stuff like that. Yes. These cells are going to make the new ones. No MS. So that's, that was the whole idea of it. And so many people, they've had it for years. They said the MRI scans are fine. Um, even the lesions have sh- um, shrunk because it, it gives your body time to heal. Because yeah. right now, your body is attacking you, you may not yeah. be able to feel it, but it's attacking you right now. So when you have the stem cell treatment, you're no longer getting attacked, your body can now heal because every time you get attacked, it depends on your age, because obviously the younger yeah. you are, you're fighting more, your immune system yeah. goes down as you get older. So when you take these, when you take these um, horrible cells away, then your body finally can now repair. Because every time you get attacked, your body repairs, attack, repairs. And it gets to a point that it won't be able to do it anymore. And that's why some people, when they have a relapse, they have damage. Unfortunately yeah. for me, I had muscle damage in my right leg. So I use a cane to walk around with. But I'm in the hope that, it because they said it's just, they call it... Um, A non-guaranteed bonus, but sometimes it heals the damage that's been done. But it's not guaranteed to do. But some people have realized that the damage that they have, yeah, because that's why they want to have a certain criteria. If you if you have MS, because they know that you can benefit better from it. Like you can have it, any type of person, any kind of MS, you can have it, but it can't help you with the damage. So sometimes that's why they have that strict criteria. So I'm hoping and I'm praying to God that. I'll feel amazing. I'll have that yes. feeling back in I'm, my right leg. prayers arms. out, to you. I'm just, I'm so hopeful for it. Yeah, I know. We're it's gonna a send scary Healing process.
2: prayers, healing angels your way. Definitely healing prayers. Uh, they had brought it up to me at one point because of the primary okay. progressive, and
0: yeah,
1: I can be honest. I kind of at that time,
2: I had already felt defeated. And I wasn't willing to go through anything else because yes. I felt like I have been mm-hmm. going through so much. Like we've tried everything—evanesc, beta, steroid, i even yeah. did chemo. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm like, can I just be and be stable at this point? Yeah. So I applaud you for going after that, and I would love to reconnect with you after you get it done to hear the glory Definitely of yeah, God yeah. <laughs> you from glory to glory of this situation. That's mm-hmm. inspiring. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask more questions but your story involved the question where I was going to say what has this taught you you you've said it's taught you to speak up to be an advocate to fight for yourself Mm -hmm. and tell others what's Mm -hmm. going on I wanted to ask you what is a quote that you live by or you go by and you gave me that quote Mm -hmm. um I wanted to ask how your family and your friends Um, reacted to this, but in your story, you show inclusiveness and support and love, which is a blessing because many don't have it. That's why they have to have, uh, we have to, as advocates, you and I have to fight and speak up to let people know that they're not alone because you it's can true. feel alone. And it's a very lonely feeling at times because- Yeah, and to be honest, I have lost,
0: I've lost friends and family because it, not all of were supportive. Like family that I considered family as I was growing up when I was little, haven't yeah. reached out. They know I have MS, even my own, like my biological dad. I know that, I don't know, our relationship is estranged, but he told my older sister that he's heard that I have an illness, but he's waiting for me to call him and tell him because he's never been really at. So I just thought as a mother myself, maybe I wouldn't understand if I didn't have children, but I have children, but I'm not going to sit there and wait for my child to tell me that they have I feel the, same that. I, I feel yeah. the same way. I feel the same way. My stepfather was
2: very a- active in my uh, biological father. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily understood or um, maybe he didn't know how to connect with me on that level, you know, because of, like you said, past history. So we kind of figured it out. Yeah. We, you know, so you work through it. And like you said, as a mother, you can't imagine not being present, not Attending to it, not being the first one your child sees, not being the one that's by your child, holding your child's hand through it and being supportive with the kids and Mm -hmm. grandkids. Uh, So I definitely understand. And I I understand the loss of friends because what we go through, some people don't understand, not willing to understand or even feel (laughs) like (laughs) it's taking up their time of their day Mm -hmm. and they don't want to understand. So obviously i believe that god takes people out your life for a reason mm-hmm. and he took them out of your life for a reason because you are have a good spirit a good heart and you mm-hmm. really do not seem and i truly believe you are not the person that will walk away from a friend during a hard time you would be mm-hmm. the one right there next to him i mm-hmm. love that you're advocating for yourself uh before i certify you on sigby because this interview just enough of you speaking your emotions, um, and getting, uh, I know you're getting ready. We're still in he- healing prayers and healing angels to watch over you. And I would love to connect with you back, but can you please give my Kings and Queens information of where they can find you and your, your story at on Instagram, wherever you're located?
0: Uh, well, mainly I have it, um, I'm on uh, Facebook, which is the same name as my Insta- uh, Instagram, which is the nerve of my MS it's the same as my facebook one and it's the same on youtube i'm actually trying to document the hsct journey as well so people can see because not many black people like to talk about it so i want to i want people to connect with me as well because our communities you see it as a weakness they don't want to talk about it but my thing is if something happens to me you need to know what to do because i saw what happened to my grandmother she died in ghana her Uh, my step-grandfather didn't know what to do she had diabetes all he needed to do was give her something sweet and she would have been alive today the education is so important and our people like to hide in their corner oh it's a weakness don't talk about it just pray over it it'll go away yeah you have to know that's why I'm putting it out there that's why I'm coming forward people need to know our community needs to come out some people like oh uh, you know black we go through stuff as well it's not just about Selma Blair talking I go yeah but Selma Blair has come out there are some black celebrities out there who have ms they have not come out so you can't be upset you know they didn't come out we have to speak more we need to show our faces more doctors which uh, tr- all this ms medication were treated through white biology they don't know how it affects a black person we don't they they didn't even think that it affected black, per- black people at some point so they weren't testing yeah. for us. so we have to come forward we have to go to trials we have to go to researches, we have to do these stuff to sh- make ourselves known and that's why i'm coming forward because i'm tired of hiding. We have to show our faces more. That's the only way, come forward. We can't complain. (laughs) Mm.
2: Natalie, this is my favorite part of the podcast. You have opened up your heart, your words. You have shared your experience thoroughly. You're going through something that is unimaginable and undeniable even though we try to ignore it, but we can't. You are a mother. So many times during this interview, your reason to fight was for your kids. I definitely understand that. I had my first baby at 17, 16, and I got found out I had diagnosis. I got diagnosed, excuse me, at 17. She was the reason I fought. I had another baby back to back at 18, and he became an even stronger reason for me to fight with them too. So you being selfless and willing to speak up and even to document these intimate moments, mm-hmm. uh, I just thank you for just coming on here and telling your story unapologetically, unfiltered. And I wanna certify you as One Sick bee. The definition of One Sick bee is a strong individual that faces or fights through unimaginable, undeniable, courageous battles that life throws at you without warning. But Natalie, you refuse to carry the spirit of brokenness. You refuse to be humble. You wanna speak up and educate our community to help us. So I once certified one sick be certify you one sick bee. And thank you for sharing your story and educating us. And thank you for telling people where to find you at. And we look forward to documenting, uh, watching this documentary. Uh, documentary of what mm-hmm. you're going through. So I thank yeah. you, Natalie, for being yeah, on here. You're
0: welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was a blessing. Uh, One Sick B can be found on Facebook. One Sick B can be found on iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcast. Thank you, Kings and Queens, for listening to One Sick B Podcast
1: know you question life a couple times, but it's okay you growing. know you gotta read between the lines, but it's okay you own it. know you got some people in your life that's gonna make you want it. know you got some people by your side when you look into their eyes. All you ever do is smile because they make you worth it. Already know this life ain't perfect, but you gotta work it. You gotta adapt it to the pain and you got used to hurting. And you're the one that's needed help. You used to offer service. You're not alone, not by yourself. Now don't forget that. You're always fighting, always fighting for the get back, and you always trying, always grinding, and I'm with that. You're such a fighter, and your strength is where your gifts at. You know every day's a fight, but every day you getting up to perform. When you think it's nothing left, you gotta know you got more. Let's not forget the God sent the strongest soldiers to war. Guys like, God sent the strongest soldiers. To you war. know every day's a fight, but every day you getting up to perform. And when you think there's nothing left, you gotta know you got more. Let's not forget that God sent the strongest soldiers to war. Yeah, like, God sent the strongest soldiers to war.